0: Hello and welcome. I'm Alexander and I'm Simon. We are Knee Deep in Tech, covering the latest from the IT industry with a specific focus on Microsoft and how to get actual value from technology. This is episode 147, recorded on April the 6th, 2021. You will be able to find this and our previous episodes on KneeDeepInTech.com, iTunes, Spotify, and on most podcasting platforms. Today's headline is going to be, well, first, Simon read a book and had an epiphany. (laughs) Then there is some news in Power BI, surprisingly enough. While we're at it, we're going to look at Config Manager release, some data loss prevention features, and some verifiable credentials, whatever that may be. But first, let's have a book tip from Simon. Yeah, so I'm...
1: Obviously, since uh, me and Alexander just spoke about it, not the last person in the world to have read The Phoenix Project. No, because that was me. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Um, And uh, you're probably the only person I haven't recommended to read it, because I've spread the gospel of this book to everyone in my close and very distant
0: uh, circle uh. of friends. (laughs)
1: <laughs> I Yeah, my distant circle of friends. Yeah.
0: But, dude, how do you think I even heard of the darn thing? That was because of you.
1: Oh, uh, okay. okay. So, the, the, it
0: is, it's your fault. Damn it, Simon. Yep,
1: absolutely. So, The Phoenix Project by Gene Kim, Kevin Bear, Bear, and George Spafford. And for you that haven't read it or haven't heard about it, it's a story about a car... Accessory manufacturer that are having some issues with IT. And then by applying the principles of DevOps, I won't spoil the end, but uh, it ends on a happy note. Things get better. And um, I've started to turn my whole life into DevOps. So, So applying the DevOps principles on my daily life as well. Ooh, I have
0: questions.
1: (laughs) Yeah, let's just say that my wife sets the business goals from our family, so it's just to do my best to deliver to them. Um, But I will be covering a few of these, my big takeaways from the book and how I've started to apply them on running and developing and maintaining a digital workplace. So see this as an introduction more than anything, and uh, stay tuned for some other DevOps chocolate pieces in the future. DevOps chocolate pieces. Oh, I like that. I think we have the name. (laughs) I think we could rebrand our entire podcast to DevOps
0: chocolate pieces. The number of people that would tune in for at least one episode would be enormous. <sighs> Talk about you
1: clickbait. Name, and for, would tune in for just one word. Like people are searching for DevOps podcasts. They found us. Well, I Anyone go for searching? chocolate. Exactly. Very few go for pieces though. Yeah, yeah. So I think the first, and this is one of the essential bits of it, are the four kinds of work. And since you have read the book now as well
0: do you remember which four kinds of work there are i do and those would be the business project the internal Mm -hmm. project the changes and the most devious one the unplanned work Mm -hmm. which in in so many ways is obvious when you see it Mm -hmm. and it is without a doubt the one that bites you in the posterior if you don't exactly
1: and i also think what what was the Biggest takeaway by those, apart from the unplanned work aspect, were the changes. Because a lot of things we do that can be seen as unplanned work or just part of the daily running maintenance of anything, they are in practice changes. Everything is a change. But many of us who have grown up with ITIL, are probably viewing changes as a very, very cumbersome attempt to fill in a paper form, handing it to a person you are afraid of and never hearing anything back, and then you do it regardless. So business projects are basically a project that someone outside IT have initiated that requires one or more resources from IT. They are in many aspects the most vital projects and the most vital parts of the daily running of any business today. Then you have internal IT projects, which are projects that or internal projects that really only are there to make bigger packages of changes and to change something on a bigger scale or bigger level. So replacing a SON or migrating servers to the cloud is likely an internal IT project. But they, in many cases, or in all cases, consists of hundreds or even thousands of small changes that you do one way or another to any bit and piece of your infrastructure. So the three we have mentioned so far, they are part of your everyday work, or should be at least. But for various reasons, we tend to down-prioritize these, and that is most likely due to unplanned work. And unplanned work is anything that isn't part of the regular changes, the internal IT projects or business projects, but they, in 100% of the cases or close to, most likely involves one or many changes. But these are things you can't foresee. And these are the things we should do our most to avoid
0: one way or another. And I, would, I, I want to stop you right there because I do not agree with that statement. I would argue that the vast majority of unplanned work before you have a working DevOps environment mm-hmm. huh? is in absolutely uh, possible to, to um, see beforehand and mitigate.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. You like. I will. I will come down to that, and and I know that we'll talk about it later on. But I think it's that you don't see it that makes it unforeseeable. So talking to any, or I have a project now where I have a full group of IT infrastructure people that simply can't see the unplanned work. They see it as their. They have put aside time to do unplanned work. They really don't know what it is, but they know that it will fill up. But they can't see it for what it is, and they can't see how they
0: can get rid of it today. So what you're basically saying is that unplanned work turns into changes internal IT projects or even business projects when you hmm. manage to surface it. Yeah, and actually get I, I to look say at so. it. Yeah.
1: And, and why have we ended up here? Why have we ended up with a lot of unplanned work and very few actual changes, on paper at least, and where I would say that more projects than ever are more focused as being internal projects than actual business projects? To me, it's it's four main reasons, and this is based partly on the book and partly on my experience working with organizations that obviously have these challenges. And to me, the most essential bit is the vision for and the strategy for IT and where what role IT plays in the bigger vision and the bigger goals of the organization they are working within. So something I, in most cases, challenge my customers with, especially when we are talking about setting up an IT strategy, and I touched on that in my last focus segment on digital workplace architecture, is the goals and the visions and how they align due to the overreaching ones. So in the exact same way as an organization have goals that are their business goals, anything you do in IT should help the organization as a whole to reach the overreaching goals. But that is in very few cases true for an IT organization because they are simply there to keep the light on and keep things running,
0: not to provide any business value. And in in many ways, they are primarily reactive, just mm-hmm. reacting to whatever happens this day.
1: Yeah, yeah, and, and they see that as their role. I don't. I think many organizations don't even see it as reactive. It's just part. It's their work. What should we do if we aren't putting out fires? And, oh and God, even, you might actually get work done. Exactly, and I actually took a picture of a car today, and and he the driver of that car jumped out and were like furious. Why are you taking pictures of my car? Uh, And I just told him that they had a um, slogan which said, and I will translate this on the fly, we don't solve your problems, we prevent them. Huh. And I think that is brilliant because that's what we should be doing, preventing issues. Yeah, because
0: uh, if, if if you need to solve them, you're already behind the power curve. Exactly, so we can talk about that another time. I have a rather
1: bad example of how a firefighter would reason if they were working in IT. Oh yeah. So the second part is leadership, where we need to have someone or a group of people that can support IT when they are faced with challenges. So when someone comes up to a IT person and says, I want this, they must be supported in when they say no, and they must be supported when something is yes, but the business may not understand the full implication of it. It should always strive to support the business, but some, in some cases, a leadership individual, which may not be a manager needs to explain why it matters and why it's important that it's done in the way that IT wants it done on this occasion. Then we need more accountability and more responsibility. That also means, and we'll get back to that, that you should be allowed to fail. You should be accountable for explaining why and realizing why, but you should never get blamed for anything. You should always be encouraged to try things. No, you shouldn't break things just out of plain ignorance, but you should be feel free to. It's I'm accountable, I'm responsible, but I also have very uh, a lot of support in trying new things that may support the business in the end. And the last bit is, and this is very applicable to I would say IT organizations and possibly especially in in sweden we need cross group understanding and communication we need to know what networking is doing or how that implies or impacts on the digital workplace we need to understand how virtualization plays a role in data center management i want to add one
0: more thing mm -hmm, mm -hmm. not only do i need to know what they're doing it I need to know why they're doing it and I yep. need to care about mm-hmm. why they're doing it. And yep. I think this all points back to the whole vision and driving the business goals thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, And of course, it's all about trust. I need to be able to trust the networking people that they're really doing this for the betterment of everything and not just being uh, networking people. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, all so networking people. Be- <laughs>
1: So to be clear on that, we are currently lacking vision, we are lacking proper leadership, we are lacking accountability, and we are lacking cross-group understanding. But what do we and have? What do we have? We have possibilities, of course. And a
0: lot of unplanned
1: work. <laughs> yes. It's obvious who's the bad cop and who's the good cop in this duo. Well, bad That's for cop, sure,
0: worst cop, probably, but yeah. Yeah, it's, sorry.
1: absolutely, I'm fine with that. So, well, we are here because... I do believe that both you and me see that the DevOps culture will be part of the solution to these challenges. So we need to set a vision and a goal that everyone understands and buys in on. We need to create an environment where anyone and everyone is able to fail fast, but also recover fast, and win even faster with the support from the leadership and the top leadership. Not just the closest manager, but all the way up the organization, as high as possibly possible. I'm really going on with good names for this episode. We need to have honesty. So what are we spending time on? And we need data. Data. On that, and we need continuous amounts of data from any bit of the IT organization. Everything that can be collected, logged, audited, anything is of importance. And we need architecture. We need to understand how things fit together. I even have a this is a real life quote. The system consists of five servers, two front end, two back end. And a fifth one that no one knows the usage of, but can, it can't be turned off. It's an actual description of a system in the documentation. We can't have that. So it must be a high-level architecture, a low-level architecture, and people, like you say, have to care about that. So to summarize, for the future, I have know... That this is an essential change and we can't outsource our way out of this. We can't replace internal staff with consultants and believe that everything will work. We need to put a band-aid on the wound, not keep removing the blood that sips out. And I would say it's essential for anyone working in operations today, especially in operations, but of course also development and so on, but especially operations. Because if we don't change, those darn developers will take our job because they are, in many cases, very far ahead of us. We need to be data-driven. Thank you for that, Alex. We need to support automation. Some way or another, we don't necessarily have to automate everything, but the more we can automate, the better. And we must get rewards and valuable rewards from this work. We must show the organization that we make a difference. And if we can't succeed with that, then IT may not have a place in that organization. And to end on that, I'm also working on something that I hope will be done sometime either before summer or during summer that I hope will help a number of organizations to achieve this. So go out and buy the Phoenix Project, read it and if you understand it, I hope it's valuable to you. If you don't understand it, talk to someone and see if someone else can explain it so that you understand it but I do think that anyone can learn something from it or at the very least recognize the challenges and the characters and the entire plot of the book.
0: I, I wholeheartedly agree. And um, if you ask any fighter pilot, they will tell you that the, the enemy that kills you is mm-hmm. the enemy you never see. Mm-hmm. As, as long as you can see and quantify your enemy, that is less of an issue than if you cannot see and cannot quantify. And why am I talking about this? Well, that's exactly what unplanned work is. And that is exactly yeah. what this is striving to, to achieve. So using the vision, using good leadership and un, unerring deep dive looking for data, surfacing mm-hmm. as much as you can, just as you said, just to show, here is your time. This is something that takes time. This is complex. This is error-prone. Mm-hmm. All of that stuff. So, yeah, I'm, I'm very, very happy that you showed me the book. I had not thought that I would be that interested. Uh, I can conclude <laughs> two things, or three things. One is, I have, just as you have, and just about everybody else has, worked in the organization that the book shows mm-hmm. The second one is that I found it very, very difficult to put down because I mm-hmm. knew exactly <laughs> what was going to happen from one day to the next. I, I could see everything coming a mile away. And <laughs> it was apparent that the the authors did too. And you can mm-hmm. kind of read between the lines that the, the characters also knew that this was going downhill very, very fast. And yep. the third thing, I really really hate Sarah. <laughs> <laughs> and that's all I'll, I'll, I'll say about that book. Th- th- that's,
1: that's an even better headline for this episode. I really, really hate Sarah. You know, I think we just, we're, we're going to go with that. Yeah. We're going to go with that. <laughs> and, and sorry for our Scottish friend, to our Scottish friend, Sarah. We, we, are, not, we, we are not pointing at you. Unless
0: You're... she starts working in marketing, she's safe.
1: Yeah, and we can always have the argument of what's marketing today. I would say that I work in marketing most
0: of my time. You know, I just realized who we should talk to about marketing. Oh. That is going to be an epic interview. Um you're you're gonna really <laughs> love that one. Because Great. the one I'm thinking about, she is a legend in the SQL Server community because she knows SQL Server inside and out and now she mm-hmm. works in, in marketing and she mm-hmm. kicks butt like always. Not right. kicks, right?
1: Say what? Not kicks but VB butt. I have no idea what you're saying.
0: <laughs> kicks script. Anyway. Have you heard about... <laughs> so... The, the funny thing is that I had decided that I wanted to talk about the Phoenix project uh, during my focus segment, which is going to be uh, the week after the next. And mm-hmm. in, in many ways, I would probably have started similarly, just outlining the four ways and or the, the four kinds of work uh, and, and the challenges and so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. But then I would have moved on to what I will be talking about next time, which is DevOps applied to... Mm-hmm. Data, which is known as data ops, mm-hmm. and um, also what what's what is similar, what is not similar, and where people inevitably go. Well, yeah, but you can't do that with data, and then we have the same <laughs> argument over and over and over again. But I'll I'll get back to you mm-hmm. on on that one. Looking forward to it. But speaking about, we can we can actually stay with DevOps for just mm-hmm. a, a small time, because. The PPU, or the, the premium per user, went generally available just the other day. So it is now generally available, which means that anyone can buy premium, Power BI premium per user for $20, which is fantastic. The things you get through PPU, I could talk about those for days, despite the fact that I have done so on this <laughs> podcast already.
1: But, but it's $20 if you don't have E5, Right. And $10 if you have
0: E5 or already have a pro license. Exactly. Wow. If even you know this, this has had some impact.
1: (laughs) All right. You know I I love licensing.
0: Yes. And you are not like everybody else. Anyways, so one of the things that you get access to with premium or premium per user is the deployment pipelines. And to be fair, the deployment pipelines are not great they're good but they're not great when it comes to um well using a pipeline and you can you can basically push a report and, and data set through this pipeline to test it to have all things change when you move between environments and so on and so forth there are some updates um, out now and there are some updates coming out and um This is written by Nimrod Shalit, who is the senior program manager. He's out of uh, Israel. Uh, For instance, you have uh, paginated reports management that you can do in the deployment pipelines. One extremely interesting thing is that deployment pipelines now can handle sensitivity labels. It couldn't do that before, but now it can. And there's a lot of interesting things coming along including data flows management in in uh, deployment pipelines.
1: And I love the quick access management.
0: Yep. yep. That is
1: astonishing. How, how you can assign permissions to a user and grant permissions that are different depending
0: on which stage of the pipeline you're in. Yep. I, I want that. So the main difficulty with power bi is the fact that the PBIX file is essentially a zip file, which makes it extremely difficult to to use traditional uh, coding tools on. Uh, there is work going on to decouple the data set from the the visuals and so on. but I, I don't think they're they're quite there yet. Uh, but speaking of the data flows, we are also going to get and we are already have gotten, updated uh, data flows Uh, for instance there is now uh, the support to read the latest cdm manifest which is the common data model manifest or the data model format that's kind of neat we also have one of the main issues with data flows is keeping track of the darn thing if you have a few of them um, in your environment it can be very difficult to figure out which did refresh correctly which did not and so on and so forth so Now we have the enhanced refresh metrics, which means that we have a refresh history, which is really, really nice. And you can see, for instance, if there is a on-demand refresh or a scheduled, and durations, so you can see if something starts to to go haywire. Uh, There's also the ADLS generation two integration, which is now generally available, which means that you can take, so if if you create a a, um, data flow, it is stored inside of the Power BI data lake. But you can decouple it from the Power BI data lake and put it into your own ADLS or Azure data lake storage, which means that you can not only uh, read data, you can also write data, and you can create your own data flows because it is based off CDM. So there's a lot of really cool uh, opportunities opening up when it comes to uh, the Power Platform and so on and so forth. So pretty cool stuff. and. You're gonna love this one. There is coming, and this is not me breaking my NDA, by the way, this this is from a blog <laughs> post. Uh, so at the end of the month, there will be a new link sharing in Power BI, mm-hmm. which looks very much like um, Teams, not Teams, uh, OneDrive. Mm-hmm. So you can actually share a Power BI report through, Send link. So just like mm-hmm. you can right click and create a shareable link in OneDrive, you can do the same in Power BI. I think that is going to make uh, things a lot easier, but it can also, if used incorrectly, really mess things up. Mm-hmm. I would argue, and and many many agree with me that the the best and. Generally, the only way that you should share stuff in Power BI is through apps. I'm sure this is gonna come in handy for some some uh, situations, but be careful. Uh, I'm gonna come back to this when it is released and, and we're gonna talk about the implications and, and so on.
1: Again, we, we need to do a session on security in Power BI.
0: <laughs> you know, <laughs> I, I I was thinking about that the other day, and I totally agree um, because they, there are so many aspects of mm-hmm. Power BI security that straddles the whole ops part, dev part, and the business part. Mm-hmm. Very, very few Power BI developers really understand the concept of sensitivity labels, for instance, especially yeah. if we look at it from a downstream perspective. What happens mm-hmm. when you put them in? Mm-hmm. And that's where you come in. So yeah. yes, we we definitely need to sit down and, and have a chat about that.
1: Yeah. We I also have another suggest, suggestion on a Power B, I think we should do, but we'll get back on that. It includes
0: oh, beer. Deer. Well, do remember that power beer is still Mark Mm Lenniveld's idea. Absolutely, and it's great. I use the Coaster all the time. Nice. So a new Config Manager release. What about that? Yeah,
1: so this is the first uh, Config Manager or Microsoft Endpoint Configuration Manager. It just rolls out the tongue, that one. Uh, current branch for the year is now available and it's on the new release cadence. So, this is released in March, so 2103. And there are a couple of small changes and a few very big ones, but not really anything mind blowing apart from the ability to, in a, we have talked about servicing of Windows. So, basically, upgrading Windows to. The next version of Windows in a variety of different ways. Now available in a task sequence from Config Manager, you can use, you can combine the task sequence with the Windows update servicing approach. So you can still be in control and do things pre and post upgrade in a very complex and hopefully value-adding way, but you leverage the, let's say, built-in technique of doing the upgrade with Windows. So it saves you a lot of bandwidth, it saves you uh, a lot of time, hopefully, and it will be kind of the best of both worlds. Nice. So, So it's really nice, actually. We also have a few additions to um, the application management. So as an example, we can now disable application deployments. So instead of removing them, we can disable a deployment, basically making it stop, and it will be pushed out to devices, which is very handy when you have done a mistake. In true DevOps style, you have deployed something, worked in dev, didn't work in prod, and then you roll it back. We have some new dashboards for Windows 10 servicing. And last but not least, I think you will like the ability to download Power BI reports or templates to Power BI reports from the community hub. So if you create a new Power BI report template, you can download that through the store, doing air quotes here, in Config Manager and use that in your report repository. Okay. How, how mm-hmm. do you surface stuff to the store? You can um, add it to a, uh, I think it's a GitHub repository, which is curated by the product group, and they then publish it. Ah. Oh. And you can do that with scripts. You can do it with collection queries, and you can do now it with Power BI reports. And you can also deploy console extensions centralized. So basically saying that if you have a extension that you got from the community hub, you can push that out to all of your consoles instead of requiring each individual administrator to install them on their own. That works. Mm -hmm. So a a good release, not mind-blowing in any way, but some really good additions, and there are a lot of cool things in the works. Hmm. We have already started to talk about sensitivity labels and that ties in very well with all the data loss prevention features that have either been released uh, to GA or is now in public preview. And I will basically do a very, very quick walkthrough of them. There are a lot of information in the links that we have attached to the show notes. But we have new endpoint DLP, So the ability to on a operating system level control what happens to sensitive data that now also protects the Chrome browser, RDP connections and Bluetooth. So you can basically tell Windows, do not allow a certain file with a certain sensitivity label to be transferred
0: using Bluetooth from this device. Wow. Mm Mm-hmm. Considering just how dysfunctional the Bluetooth stack in <laughs> Windows is, that is a step in the right direction.
1: Mm-hmm. I think and we can yeah, and we can do all sorts of things with endpoint DLP. It's a really, really cool and piece of the puzzle, I must say. But it really fulfills a lot of the promises that Microsoft have made in terms of compliance. It's it's really cool and I can't wait to see it in other operating systems if we ever get there because this probably ties in very, very closely with the underlying operating system. We also have a number of updates to unify the data loss prevention policies. So a more consistent approach on how we configure DLP policies and what we are able to search for, especially in Exchange. So who are we receiving content from, who is sending it, which domains, and, and a lot of other features, as well as new actions. And we have the sensitivity label aware DLP policies that just hit GA. I'm already using them in production with a few customers, basically saying and, and allowing you as a user to create and share content as long as it's in the right level of confidentiality. I'm working on a few scenarios now, especially around teams that are challenging, but where we definitely have most of the tools we need to create a very, very robust data protection and compliance infrastructure and architecture. And I can keep on going. There are so many cool things, and it's such a fun project, the one I'm currently working on, where we really are using the full stack of DLP and data protection tools within Microsoft 365. So it's it's great fun, and it's really a, a spider web of possibilities that we either want, should, or need to cover. And, and speaking of that, just a, a question out of curiosity. We have talked a lot about GA private preview, public preview, private previews we are usually not allowed to talk that much about, but public previews in GA. What's your approach when you have a customer and they have a need that is fulfilled by a product or solution in public preview? Do you use it or what, what do you tell the customers? How do you view public preview solutions? Private preview solutions. Um, P- public preview. Public
0: previews, well... Public previews. Let, let's start with public. We can talk about private as well. Well, well my, my customers would probably know um, about as much as I do about the public preview. And I am more than happy to, to share a public preview with them saying that this is super cool. Um, I definitely think this should be reviewed. Mm-hmm. The private previews, they have another reason for being in my view. Those are when you need to solve a specific problem. And I happen to know as an MVP or whatever that I'm plugged into Microsoft, I know of a private preview that might actually solve this specific issue. Uh, That's how I use a private preview. And a public preview, I most often go, you definitely want to look at this at least because this will be coming into GA and this will be driving your your uh, future but are you ever hesitant to implement either of these for a particular customer now, that, that's another question because you asked me not so much implement as yeah tell the customer
1: okay i, I was referring to implementing it telling that that's another
0: thing right but implementing so um of course the answer is it depends yeah it it, it, it i need to weigh the potential benefits to the potential issues um, mm-hmm. but for most part I would go with a public preview mm-hmm. uh, I would definitely read the, the fine print when it comes to limitations and be very upfront with that but yes it, it is it's there for a reason and I'm more than happy to uh, to recommend my customers to try it
1: mm-hmm. I, I do agree I think that if we can solve a Again, a challenge for the business or for IT with the public preview. I have no problem whatsoever in doing so. When it comes to private previews, as you say, if the customer have that specific need that is fulfilled by that private preview, I can, if I'm allowed, introduce the customer to to the product group and say they can try it. But I'm always making sure that the customer is also dedicated to being part of the private preview. If That's, that's a the very case. good point. So they need to put aside time to give Microsoft feedback back and ensure that they are actually a valuable part
0: of that private preview. That's a very good point. What I did not say was the reason that I I dare put people in a private preview is Mm -hmm. that I know that they will be paired with an actual engineer. But as you say, it's at least as important, if not even Mm -hmm. more important, to have the customer Being be be able to give feedback back to the the product teams because otherwise the whole thing is moot. Very Mm -hmm. good point.
1: So the last, and, and this will be a small news item, but I can't start to imagine how big this will likely be in our lives moving forward. So now yesterday... Microsoft and Alex Simmons announced the Azure AD verifiable credentials. And I've read up a bit on it and I've understood how to use it and what's there, what it's there for, but I'm still not getting my head around how it works. But for our Swedish listeners, we have Bankide, so a digital way of verifying our identity online or wherever we are. But that only works for a few selected applications and it's only working in Sweden and we can't really use it for anything else. Norway have Freya, and there are other governmental or in this case bank um, supported initiatives Now Microsoft is part of um, a program which aims to create universal verifiable credentials. And now Microsoft's application of that have been announced and is now in public preview, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, public preview. Which basically means that anyone that wants can use Azure AD to create an identity that is verifiable and goes wherever we want to go. So we can use it in a library when we're traveling, whatever we are doing, and anyone will be able to verify that we actually are who we claim to be. Cool. Yeah, and and I was quite stunned when I got a, a letter from American Express, my Dutch American Express, where they are actually already supporting one of the partners of this program. So I haven't understood the Dutch in the letter yet. <laughs> but I do think I actually can get a, a verifiable identity from American Express, Express in the Netherlands if I want to. From on Fido. So I think this can potentially be huge really valuable but it's and and like when Microsoft presents it it's the issuer interface which is Azure AD we have developer tools and we have the end users wallet which is Microsoft Authenticator so I have so many questions so many hopes for this and I can't wait to see it in actual action and uh, I know that the government of Flanders have already started to use it so it's really, really cool.
0: Indeed. Mm-hmm. So we're, as always, running out of time, but <laughs> we can walk through. Uh, we're gonna be, we're gonna be doing some, some talking, uh, <laughs> to, to say the least. Yep. You mostly, I would say, uh,
1: but we are both speaking on the day when this is released. We are both speaking virtually in Dublin for the CloudCamp Quarterly hosted by MicroWarehouse. I was fortunate enough to be part of the original CloudCamp in 2018, still one of the best conferences I've ever spoken at. And now MicroWarehouse is running virtual quarterly uh, mini-conferences with uh, some very, very good speakers. And the first time, me and Alexander, together with Maurice Daly, Sandy Tseng, uh, and Thomas Naunheim, uh, are part of it. So I'm very, very happy to kick that off on April the 8th and all proceedings goes to a very, very good charity. So if you have possibility sign up either for this one or the upcoming ones,
0: I would highly recommend that. Yeah. And then uh, <laughs> I, I had a bit of a brainwave. Uh, I didn't quite think. Um, so I'm, I'm going to be paying for that, so to speak. So mm-hmm. on um, April the 8th, that's going to be Cloud Quarterly. On the 13th, I'll be speaking to the Swedish SQL Server User Group. On the 14th, I'll be speaking to the Croatia SQL Server User Group. On the 15th, I'll be speaking to London Power BI User Group. On the 17th, mm-hmm. I'll be speaking to the Data Saturday number 5 in Redmond. And on April 20th, I'll be speaking to the Dublin Power BI User Group. And then I would probably crawl up in some corner and die for a bit. But yeah, that's... I kind of took a paid shot out of your life, Simon. (laughs) I'm just, my first thought were you
1: would have earned so many frequent flyer miles on that.
0: (laughs) Yes. I would have. Yeah.
1: And then in May, May 12th, uh, I'm together with my group of organizers are organizing the fifth or sixth, I can't even remember, Swedish WVD user group where we will have Pierre Tour, talking about cost management for WVD in Swedish. And we'll also have a panel discussion on graphic acceleration in WVD and EUC in general. So sign up for that.
0: Really cool stuff. Mm-hmm. So we, um, I just want to end on the fact that last week was the um, MVP Summit. Mm-hmm. And it is the third MVP Summit for the two of us. Uh, I had the, the the opportunity to go Uh, two years back, and that was fantastic. Uh, I really hope you get to go uh, next year if there is a physical one next year. Um, We can't talk about what was said. And to be absolutely honest, this is my opinion, people that go, oh, MVP Summit, there was so much NDA, 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 that was amazing, NDA, NDA. On Twitter, that's kind of a dick move. Just (laughs) shut it. No, nobody, nobody likes hearing that and there is no point in it. So just shut it. But what we can say, and I think this is the same for your side of the fence. What I can say with complete uh, assurance is that Microsoft is committed like you would not believe to the technologies they mm-hmm. have created and the, the, the features they are, are working on. We get to peek under the covers a bit and things coming in the pipe are fantastic. The ideas that were planted a couple of years back, they are coming to fruition and it is an amazing future awaiting. So it is not too late to jump on the bandwagon. This is fun stuff. Mm -hmm. Come join us working with uh, Microsoft technologies in in general and, and Azure in particular. This last segment were sponsored by Microsoft Corporation. (laughs) (laughs) No, it wasn't, but that's it. So thank you for listening and we'll be back in two weeks. Have a good one. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode. Knee Deep in Tech is a bi-weekly technology podcast hosted by Alexander Abitson and Simon Binder. If you have any feedback, questions, or would like to be part of an episode, please reach out to us on social media or via email at podcast at nideapentech.com.